means hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And when the scenes of glory, I sing the new, new song. Twill be the old, old story that I have loved so long. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, it's amazing how much we can pack into a week between our times of worship. It's amazing the variety of things that touch our lives, the thoughts that go through our minds, the opportunities that we have. It's amazing what goes on in our community and in our state and in our world. So many things, dear God, that bring joy to us and happiness and things that just encourage us and other things, Lord, that break our heart and cause us to weep. And when we come together on Sunday, we bring all of that with us, all the experiences of the past week. And now what you do, dear God, is give us an opportunity to be reoriented and refocused. You give us an opportunity, dear God, to be reoriented into the things that we know that are true, the old, old story, and to be refocused on you. Father, help us never to forget. You not only have created all that has and will ever exist, but you're also in the management business. And through your angels and through your Holy Spirit, Your will is being worked out day by day. Sometimes we see that more clearly and sometimes it gets a bit fogged up. But it doesn't change the reality that you tell us in Scripture this is your world and you're working your purpose out. Father, there are a lot of times that we forget that. Sometimes because we have desires that take us other places. Sometimes because we fantasize things that are inappropriate for Christians. Sometimes, dear God, we find ourselves just sort of trapped. And we don't seem to feel like we have the resources to break free. But the end result is that we oftentimes fail you, Lord. We oftentimes are not the people you want us to be, and we don't live up to your expectations. I want you to forgive us, Father, one and all, through the shed blood of Christ for the things that we have not done and the things that we did that we should not have done. And I want you to help us, if you would, dear God, to feel that forgiveness and not to leave this time of worship with a sense of guilt, but with a sense of new beginnings starting today. Father, what an opportunity you give us to walk in your spirit and to be loved by you and to experience that love and the empowering of your Holy Spirit one day at a time. And I pray that might be our experience. Father, the things that go on in our world are 
so far often beyond our control, even sometimes our comprehension. In our country, dear God, we need spiritual revival. That's very clear. The problems that we face as a nation are spiritual in nature and only have a spiritual resolution. I ask you, dear God, to help our country. And in so doing, to help the people who lead it and the people who live in this country. I pray for personal revival and renewal in this country. That we might have a heart for you. And that we might invite you into our personal life in a whole new way. And that we might invite you back into our country. I pray for the same for other countries, Lord. Our world is in chaos. So often our nations around this world are left by, led by people who just want what they want. I pray, dear God, that we'd have some reasonable people lead our countries. And I pray that you would start with those in the highest positions and awaken them spiritually and draw them to yourself. Father, every Sunday when we come together to worship, there are those among us and those in our extended family and in the realm of our friends that are facing challenges. Those challenges come in all sorts of different ways. They're packaged sometimes in very harsh ways and other times not quite so harsh, but they bring anxiety and tension to us. Father, we lift those folks up to you this morning, knowing that we very likely could be one of those folks before this week's over. And pray that as we face challenges, that we might understand what James talked about when he talked about building perseverance and drawing us closer. You promised, Lord, in the most difficult of situations to make yourself known to us in new and exciting ways. And we pray that as all of us face challenges. We pray, dear God, for those who are in uniform, whether it's a nurse's uniform or a policeman's uniform or a military uniform, and pray that you'd help them to be resilient and to depend on you, that you might be their hope and might be their guide. We pray for our church and for the other churches that worship you and are true to your word. And pray, dear God, that you'd build fences around our churches as you do around us. And keep the evil one away from us and help us to be what you want us to be. I thank you for the many blessings that we have known corporately and individually. I thank you that you're the one who's brought us together today. And I thank you, Lord, that as we praise you, you have something for us also. So please, dear God, bless the balance of our worship. For we ask it in the very precious name of Jesus. Amen. If you'd open your Bibles with me to the letter of Jude. And we're going to look today at the 17th through the 23rd verses. Jude, the 17th through 23rd verses.
Once you've found your place, please put your finger in your Bible for a moment. You know, most of us are pretty well-educated folks, aren't we? I've learned an interesting thing over the last three or four decades. I didn't give my age away, did I? I've learned that I can pick up a newspaper or I can pick up a book or I can pick up something else in printed material and read it. And I can remember the highlights of it, but there's so much information available today, but for very long I don't remember much of it. I've also learned that I can pick up my Bible. And if I'll talk to the Lord before I start, he gives me an uncanny insight into his word. And he does that for you. His Holy Spirit embraces us and opens this up for us. And if you listen with your heart and your mind, there's always something in it for you to encourage you, to correct you, to help you live this life. Isn't that true? I love my Bible study time. I love getting ready for Sundays. And I hope it's the same for you, that it's when I'm closest to the Lord. Let's pray and ask for that help. Father, as we open your word this morning, I pray that for the next few minutes you'd help us to be uniquely focused on your word. I pray that the Holy Spirit that dwells in each one of us who are believers will now capture our heart. And if there's something that stands as an obstacle to our heart or mind, I pray, dear God, that you'd peel it away and that you'd speak to us. Help us to comprehend, Lord, and then help us to retain what we have comprehended, that we might put it to work this next week. And I want to thank you in advance, Father, for you're about to speak to us. Help us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. It's an interesting thing. I I got to thinking about this because several of you have mentioned it to me. I've had several of you say, you know, I've never heard sermons on Jude. Well, I sat down and started thinking back, and I've taught Jude, but I've never preached it before. This is the first time I've ever done that. I don't know why that is. It's an interesting book. It has some hard stuff in it. And we've already been through some of that. This is going to be the last sermon I do on it in this series. And I think it's interesting the way Jude ends up. He starts out the very beginning, the first chapter, by referring, or first verse, by referring to us, to those who are called beloved in God. And there's a reoccurring theme throughout this entire short letter that we are the loved of God. If you look at the 17th verse and the 20th verse, which we're going to look at today, he says it again to us. He says, but you, beloved. And I think what he's trying to do is to say, don't forget who you are. God has already loved you. While you were yet sinners, he loved you. He allowed Christ to die for you while you were still in sin. He has implanted his Holy Spirit in us while we are still not perfect on this side of heaven, still struggling with sin. And I think what Jude is saying is, that's all about love. It's about God really, truly loving us. 
and then saying to us repeatedly, it's not just about this life. It's about eternal life. And out of love, I have provided that for my children. Isn't that a beautiful reoccurring theme? That's how he's going to start our passage today. But he also talks about something else. And I want you to look at our first verse before I read the passage. The 17th verse, he also says that he wants us to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I want you to remember that you're beloved, and I want you to remember what the apostles have said. What he's doing is he's talking about the most recent revelation, a revelation that they've been exposed to and, in fact, may have even known the apostles. Well, as you read back through the Old and New Testament, what we see is the revealed word of God. God choosing to record in written form so that even today we might hear him speak directly to us. Somewhere there's a balance in what I'm about to say. And the balance goes like this. We who are born again have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to be able to understand this book. And if we'll take the time and be disciplined and expose ourselves to it, we'll be able to understand it. And as we do that, we will have the equipment that God wants us to have to live day in and day out in the spirit instead of in the world. The balance is that while that's the potential and that's why he's given us this opportunity, lots of folks don't take advantage of it. We have very limited exposure. We may have one hour on Sunday and 30 minutes of Bible study. We may have a Bible study or two we go to during the week. But if you look at the totality of time that's open to us, many folks spend almost no time in the Word and a lot of time doing other things. And then we're exposed to conflict and challenges and we don't have the resource we need to be able to deal with those things. Do you follow that? We're going to do something really exciting here in our church, and this is the first time publicly it's been said, but our elders approved a couple of month, months ago the implementing of a new Bible study hour for adults starting this fall. It's going to be called the Berean Bible Study Model. And what it's going to do is it's going to help you get closer to the Lord and to hear Him speak so that you will be better equipped to live day in and day out. And that's going to happen on Sunday mornings starting this fall. So I encourage you to look forward to it and to pray about it and pray about your exposure to what we're about to do. I want you to look at the passage with me and let me read it to you. And I encourage you to listen very carefully because God is just about to speak to us. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last times there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lust. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. 
But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garments polluted by their faith, by their flesh, excuse me. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. The passage starts in verse 18 by talking about the last times. It's interesting how that captivates the minds of lots of Christians. A lot of conversation, lots of books written about the end times, what's happening. A lot of conjecture about when that starts, what we might expect. And then there are some in Christendom and outside of Christendom who believe they have an insight into when that's going to happen. If I remember right, Jesus said he didn't even know the day. And yet we have people who say that and then turn around and try to make predictions. Jehovah Witnesses on several occasions, I hope, have been embarrassed as they have made predictions for over a 100 years, most recently in 1975 when they encouraged their followers and applauded them, when they began to sell their worldly possessions and prepare for the end of this world. You know, we had somebody who got us excited in this country and around the world just a year ago. You all remember that? The Mayan calendar event? And there were those who said that in December of 2012, this was all going to come to an end. And I read articles about people all over the world who took that seriously and who started making arrangements, some of them pretty radical, for the end of time. Scripture doesn't tell us when that's going to be. Instead, it says we ought to be alert and live every day. So when we get up in the morning, we ought to get up and say, Lord, please bless me and please help me today. And help me not to be anxious about tomorrow, but just live today for you. Isn't that a good philosophy of life? Well, that's the philosophy I think Jude has. Jude doesn't tell us when he starts this out. He doesn't say, I know the time. What he says is, here are some things you can look for. Here are some of the signs. And as I go through this passage, I want you to ask yourself, do you see some of these signs? And if you do, you know what it means? It means we're one day closer to whatever that date may be. It may be before I finish speaking today because he's going to come like a thief in the night. We're not going to know that moment. Or it may be a thousand years from now. The point is that we read the signs and that we live today for the Lord. He says to us in the 20th and the 18th and 19th verses, that they're going to be mockers. You know what a mocker is? It's somebody who knows the Bible. Somebody who knows something about Christianity. And who with a degree of authority is going to say, that's silly. That can't be true. And they're going to make fun of people who give themselves to the Lord and to his word. And sometimes those mockers are inside the church. 
Sometimes those mockers are outside the church. But they want our ear and they want to convince us that what we're all about is foolishness. And we're going to see more and more of that as we get closer to the second coming of Jesus Christ. We see some of that even today. We see some of that, interestingly enough, in the church, and we see it with entire denominations being swayed in their doctrine and in what they believe. And we see entire denominations because of the influence of some who are leaving orthodoxy and walking away from the teaching of Scripture. You and I need to safeguard ourselves against that. We need to be a Bible people, and we need to believe our Bible and live it out. And you will find it will never fail you. Not ever. For it is God speaking to you. He also says they're going to be dividers. People who come into the church and who talk about their own philosophy and their own theology and their own understanding of Scripture. And instead of looking at the things we hold in common, and I want you to know that Christianity, whether it's Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian, or Episcopal, or whatever that list is, if you look at who we have been, there are a great many things we hold in common. Well, there are people who will come into the church, and instead of focusing on the things we hold in common, they'll try to divide us into parties. Scripture is very clear. We're not to be divided into parties and follow people. We're to be one together. So when you start to hear that, Know it's an indication of the end times, but also know that that's not healthy for our church or anybody's church. What do you do about that? If you look at verses 20 through 21, what Jude does is he says, let me tell you how you can cope with the end times coming, how you can cope with the dividers and the mockers. And he gives us a little shopping list. He says, first of all, I want you to live a holy faith, a holy faith. One of the things that you and I have grown up believing and being taught, and now it's just part of us, is we are rational people and we ought to be pragmatic. And two and two ought to make four, and that's the end of it. Folks, that's not the end of it. Where is the faith ingredient in our lifestyle if we do that? And what he's saying is, as this world is changing and as it moves closer and closer to the second coming of Christ, there are going to be lots of influences that try to get us to just be pragmatic. And Jude is saying, but I want you to be a people of faith, a functional kind of faith. When you get out of bed in the morning, you say, Lord, here I am. What do you want me to do today? How do you want to use me? How do you want to minister? And as we go through the day and we encounter difficulties or challenges for us to stop and look for God in that and say, Lord, help me now. And don't just try to live the day under your own power and your own wit. Because that doesn't work. That's not fruitful. So he says, what I want you to do is I want you, and he's putting the responsibility on us. He says, I want you to work out with holy faith your life day by day. He says the second thing. He says, I want you to pray in the Holy Spirit. That suggests that sometimes you pray and it's not in the Holy Spirit. Can you hear that? 
Every one of us who are believers have the Holy Spirit dwelling in here. And he is our counselor. He's the one that's going to give us advice. He's the one that's going to influence our daily lives. So why would Jude say when you pray, I want you to pray in the Spirit? It's because sometimes we don't. And you know what causes us not to? Our thinking. Our lifestyle. We choose paths in life that thwart the Holy Spirit. And instead of the Holy Spirit leading us and influencing us, we take control of our life. And when that happens, we're suppressing the Holy Spirit in us. Then when we come to God and we start to pray, the Spirit is already suppressed. So when we begin to pray and you walk away only having spoken and not being spoken to, it's because we've suppressed the Spirit. Our denomination is big on saying there's no new revelation it's in the Bible, and that's the end of it. And I believe that with all my heart. But I do believe God speaks to us in prayer. I think he ministers to us and gives us suggestions, holy hints about how we're supposed to do stuff. And oftentimes, if you're in the Spirit, you'll come out of a prayer time, and he has given you a new path, a new alternative, a new solution to something you couldn't figure out. You ever had that experience? It's because you're in the Spirit when that happens. But if you're walking day by day in the flesh, don't think when you go into prayer that suddenly that's going to change. You have to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. And the more nearly you do that, the more clearly you're going to hear God speak. Now, if that's an issue for you, if in your prayer life it's really kind of one way and you're going to God and say, Hey, Lord... I've got a really good suggestion for you today. Would you wrap your arms around this and do it for me? If, if that's where you are, know that there's room for growth. This is all about spiritual maturity. And what he's saying is, I want you to grow up spiritually so you can deal with these times as we get closer and closer to the second coming of Christ. So I want you to learn how to pray in the Spirit. And to do that, you have to walk in the Spirit. He goes on with this list and he says, I want you, and here the responsibility is on us. This is all about sanctification. This is all about the marriage between the Holy Spirit and us working together to bring us closer. And you are very much a participant. And he says, now I want you to keep your focus on the love of God. I want you to live your life thinking about the fact that God loves you. And he does love you. And folks, if you have forgotten that, you need to go back and revisit that theme and spend some time with your Bible and spend some time in Holy Spirit-driven prayer and reestablish for yourself how much God loves you. And then take that love and show it to somebody else. Work it out with somebody else. The first commandment. We are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and our mind, with our whole being. What's the second? We're to love our neighbor. You see the consistency with what Jude is saying and what Scripture teaches? 
So don't withhold yourself from other people. Don't be afraid to love somebody else because you have already been loved. And if you're going to get through these times that are ahead of us, love is one of the major vehicles. I hope with all my heart, as you listen to my preaching Sunday after Sunday, you go away with a reoccurring theme that says, God really loves me. If he didn't, he wouldn't have given his only begotten son for me. If he didn't, he would not have already secured a place in heaven for me. Do you understand? It's all about love. I read somewhere, love covers a multitude of sins. You ever read that? Boy, that is really true. So he wants us to focus on his love for us, and he wants us to love other people. And that's one of the major ingredients to being able to get through these difficult times. And then he shares a fourth thing he wants us to do. And I'm going to paraphrase it. He's saying, hey, folks, get your attention off of the people and things in this world. Doesn't mean don't love, but live for eternal life. Live thinking about the mercy that God has already shown you and is going to show you. And live like pilgrims who reside here for a very short period of time in light of eternity. And live your lives for the second coming and for your entry into heaven. You know, if we did that, it sure would change how we spend ourselves. Probably wouldn't be nearly as anxious about things. For we'd have that eternal security that has just wrapped its arms around us. And the way we spend our resources, our energy, our time, our money, where we invest ourselves, if we're living for eternity and not for a return right now in some worldly sense, life would be very different. Can you see that? How that would impact the way we live? Judah's saying... We're going to start out as we approach these end times by equipping us with these four things. A holy faith, prayer that is rooted in the Holy Spirit, the love of God, and a focus on eternal things. And as you pick those four things up each day of your life and allow them to be fundamental to your thinking and your being, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on in the 22nd and 23rd verses and takes us into a very interesting area where he talks about what we are now to do for other people during this period of time. So he starts out by saying, here's what I want you to do for yourself. And now he says, let me tell you what I want you to do for other people. He says, and again, this is a paraphrase, you're going to find Christians around you who are pretty immature. Are you aware we're not all on the same spiritual level? My spiritual daddy has some insights I haven't yet had. And every time I spend time with him, I walk away a richer man. We all have levels of faith and levels of maturity. There are some folks in Christianity who are just learning about God. And they may have been in the faith and members of churches for years. 
And what we sometimes do is we look at these immature Christians and we're judgmental of them. And what we're really saying is, why can't you be as blessed as I am? Well, if you get to know people who are more mature than you, they might say the same thing about us. What Jude is saying is, I want you to understand that you need to be a witness and an encourager to other Christians. And when you see them not acting in a mature way, you model for them and you encourage them and don't be their critic. And there's going to be a lot of that as the days go by. And I believe as we have more and more pressure in the end times that we're going to see people and we're going to see where their faith is and we're going to see how immature some people really are. And we might even start to see how fragile we are. So it's important that we help each other, that we wrap our arms around each other and not be judgmental but instead being encouragers, that we might all grow in our faith. Every time someone goes in the hospital, every time someone has a financial problem, I met a man yesterday in our neighborhood who told me that in the last few years he's lost everything. He's living in a home that's a rental home. He lost his home. And he's got an hourly job, and he's trying to put food on the table. And I felt compelled to say to him, know what God's doing. God's in that. And my job is to encourage him to look for the Lord in that. And for him to grow closer to the Lord through those trials and through those tribulations. And not just get slam dunked. But as spiritual beings for us to grow in our faith as we encounter challenges. You understand? It's so important. Then he says the second thing to us, and I want you to try to get your arms around this. He says, here's something else I want you to do. Verse 23, save others. We're not talking about eternal life. Save others. You, snatching them out of the fire. We're not talking about eternal damnation. Save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear. We are to have mercy on everyone. Some of them, we need to do that with fear, lest we also be judged hating even the garments polluted by the flesh. I sat and thought about the passage, that particular verse, and I want to tell you what I came out from my study with. For whatever reason, and I I suppose there are a lot, when someone we're close to or somebody in our family does something really bad, You can make a whole list of what we think is really bad. And people get hurt and we get hurt. We have a tendency to turn our back and walk away. Break fellowship with them and have nothing to do with them. I read Jude's words and I thought, Lord, are you telling us that when that happens, we ought to take that as a signal to get involved even more? Because that person is in huge spiritual danger. 
the fire that he's talking about is a fire that doesn't ultimately consume. It just burns and burns and burns, and the person gets hurt more and more, and other people get hurt more and more, and God's letting us be witness to that so we can come alongside and try to help snatch them out of that anguish and that pain and try to say to them in a loving way, God has a totally different way to live life. And what you're doing is self-destruction. You know where that gets difficult? When the person who's doing this evil has hurt you or hurt me. And they've said, I don't love you and I don't want you in my life and I don't want you to try to save me. And most of us say, okay. But if God exposed us to that, it could very well be that we're the one that might be able to minister to him. And as things get more difficult in this world, we're going to see more fires. And we're going to see more people, some of whom are Christians, who will ultimately repent and will ultimately spend eternity in heaven, having been singed pretty badly here on earth. And you and I have an opportunity to minister to them. Love our enemies. Lord, forgive me as I forgive others. I think we said that this morning. We've got to be very careful not to withdraw ourselves. God wants to use us as we approach and get involved in the end times. You and I are to be his ministers, his ambassadors. We're to be his hands and his feet and his lips and his heart. And folks, if he could love us, surely we can love other people. If he could let his son die for us, can't we say, here I am, Lord, use me? even in difficult situations. You know, I read the words of Jude, and, and I talk, uh, read about the four things that we need to do to help ourselves to mature in the faith and to live through these times. And then I look at the two things he tells us to do for other people, and, and I come away from the whole short letter saying, we need to remember we're loved by God, and that makes us different. We have a new responsibility, and that is to love other people and to be used by God. And it starts with us talking to ourselves and getting our thinking straight so we can do what the Scriptures teach us to do. And you may need to go have a session with yourself like I've been having this week. And then it's a matter of being a role model. Just selling out to Jesus and saying, Lord, here I am. Help me, I'm a mess, but help me get it straight. Help me work it out so I can be an example to other people. And get no no arrogance about that, no pride in that. Just, Lord, here I am. Please help me. And I do believe when we do that, some remarkable things will happen in your life and the lives of other people. Don't you think so? Give it a try. Go have a talk with yourself. And let's see what this week holds. Let's pray together.
Father, I wonder what you had for us individually in that. You put it on the heart of Jude and truly on the heart of all of your apostles and other writers of Scripture in a whole variety of ways to explain your love for us and how you want us to live. Lord Jude was pretty blatant about it all. Maybe that's what we need. Please, dear God, for myself and for my brothers and sisters, whatever it is that we need to readjust or correct or repent of, I pray you'd help us come to terms with those things and help us to take another step into allowing your Holy Spirit to run our lives. And if there's someone, Lord, we need to call, or somebody we need to write or go by and see, I pray that you would cause us to think about them when we leave this place and help us to be salt in a world that's not salty at all and help us to see the opportunities. Thank you, Father, for Jude. And thank you for speaking to us through him. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to invite our new members to go ahead and start making your way toward the back door as I invite all of you to stand. Have you noticed in church and Sunday school I commend our Sunday school. We've been gifted by God with some teachers who absolutely have their arms around the word. That we're hearing things you don't hear out there. It's a good place to be, folks, isn't it? It's a demonstration of how much God loves us. He says, come close to me and let me talk with you. Let me help you have straight thinking. And let me help you live your lives. God bless you and God keep you. May his face truly shine on you. Wherever you go this week, know that he's with you. And he's going to use you and bless you. And know that he loves you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.